Welcome to the Antioch Sheffield podcast. We are so glad that you can join us for today's message. For more information about Antioch Sheffield, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk. Good morning, everybody. Happy New Year. So if I've not met you before, my name is Yin. I have been here for a while, and I'm sadly no longer a student, but I love helping you know, lead the student ministry. And I'm so glad so many of you are back here today with us. One fun fact about me, I love puzzle games. So this morning, can we start with a puzzle game? So let's play Spot the Difference. How many can you spot? How many differences can you spot? I can see people trying to point things out. So there's the clock. I think it's the most obvious. There's the fruit, I heard. The banana. The hairpin. The cookie tray, that's right, on the bottom right-hand corner. The hat, someone say hat. Cat, what's wrong with the cat? Oh, the spoon, that's right. (laughs) The toy, that's right. So I don't know about you. Obviously, I had more time with this picture. But personally, I was a bit overwhelmed when I started trying to look for all these differences. I just didn't know where to start. My eyes were darting around trying to look for all these differences. There was no method to my madness. I'm not sure if any of you did it systematically instead of, you know, a random looking. But I found 14 differences, and here they are. If you find anything that's not of these 14, please tell me, because I would want to know. So when I found these 14 differences, and I was trying to look for any more, because I just don't know how many there are in total, I started getting desperate. I started looking at the fine details in the photo. So one of the things I started doing was counting these icing droplets on that cake, just to make sure they're the same. And then I started counting the seeds on the strawberries, just to make sure nothing funny is going on there. And then, don't judge me for this, I started counting the wrinkles on Granny's face because it's such a focal part of the picture, there must be something going on. Why would they include it otherwise? And then my brain just kind of took over. I couldn't find any more differences. So the cat kind of piqued my interest. I mean, look at that face. Isn't that the face? of pure satisfaction. And then my over-imaginative brain took over and it kind of created a backstory for this little cat. So why is this cat so satisfied? Is it the first time that it's been invited to this loving family to partake of this feast in front of him? It maybe is Mr. Cat's, you know, you know, beginning of a new life. And then I realized I fell for the illustrator's trap. I was so easily fooled into paying attention to all these other details that swayed me away from my one and only mission. Spot the difference. Now, if a children's game 
is too much for me to stay on track. Can you imagine how difficult it is for me to stay focused in general? I, I, it's not that I have a short attention span. It's more that something else more interesting comes to me very quickly, and I would rather spend my time doing that. And it's usually something not productive or useful. For example, I had to prepare for a teaching for my fellow colleagues earlier this week, and it was a topic I was not very interested in. You have no idea how many times I reached for my phone without thinking, and then 20 minutes later, I find myself, I've been on my phone, not doing any work, and then I scold myself for it, to put it away, and resolve not to do it again, and then the cycle repeats not long after. I'm sure we can all agree, life is full of distractions, and sometimes it's so much easier to pursue these distractions, even though we have something more meaningful in front of us. So what does the Bible say about this? Today, I want to take a look at the woman that has been forever immortalized as the distracted one. And her name is Martha. Uh, just a little bit of background about Martha and her sister Mary. They're both very special people in the Bible because they are two of the few people that are referred to as Jesus' friends. So they're not great sinners of their town like other people mentioned in the Bible. They were well respected and loved by Jesus. They had a special place in Jesus' heart. They were his friends. So let's take a look at the first mention of them in Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister, Mary, sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. I don't know about you, but when I first read this passage, my response could only be, Jesus, what are you even saying? It seems so unfair. Why are you telling Martha off? Now, I've got a younger brother myself, and I can't tell you how many times I've gone to my parents and was all like, this is unfair, do something about this, please. And I'm sure if you're a parent here today, this might sound like a familiar situation to you. There might be a particular situation that you might be thinking about now. Wasn't Martha doing the right thing? 
wasn't Martha doing what was expected of her? If we look at the cultural background of Martha, in the Jewish, Jewish culture, hospitality was a huge thing. It was culturally expected for Martha to take care of her guests, to make sure they're well-fed, to make sure her guests were comfortable. It, was, it would be actually considered incredibly rude if she weren't doing these things. This homemaking and hosting role of woman in Martha's time was the way she knew how to serve the people around her. On the other hand, we have Mary, who is doing none of these things. She is sitting at Jesus' feet, not contributing to any of this homemaking. If you look at this posture of sitting at Jesus' feet, in their time, this position of being at the rabbi's, the teacher's feet, this is a position of honor. Not anyone can sit at, at the rabbi's feet. This position was reserved to those closest to the rabbi, the closest disciple, the closest apprentice. So for Mary to be sitting at Jesus' feet, this was a big deal. Most Jewish men would have been shocked in that room to see that this was allowed. It was women of the time, we were allowed to join in lectures for, of the rabbis, the teachings of the rabbis, but it's usually at a great distance. So it's at a great hall or a great banquet. So it was unheard of for a lady to be allowed to have this position of honor, to sit at the rabbi's feet, to be treated as an equal to his other disciples. So we have Martha over here doing everything that she's expected to do, and Mary doing everything she's not supposed to do. So how did Martha come into being in the wrong here? That does not make any sense. Let's go back to verse 40 to see what the Bible says. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. Martha was distracted. Martha was distracted by the ever-growing to-do list to try to get food on the table. She was distracted by making sure everyone was comfortable. She was distracted by the cooking, you know, and making sure that there was food on that table for all her guests. Preparing a meal wasn't a bad thing, but it wasn't the best thing that was available to Martha in that house that day. After all, you know, meals come and go every single day. But how often do you have Jesus right there in your house, allowing you to sit at his feet, to listen to him, to talk to him? Martha was pursuing the good instead of the great. Martha was pursuing the good instead of the great. So what was Jesus' response to this? 
to Martha's distractions. If we take a look at verse 41 to 42, But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. If you look at Jesus' reply, there is no condemnation in his tone. Jesus is not condemning Martha for, for being distracted with so many other things. Jesus' response to when we are distracted is to invite us to join him, to invite us to talk to him, invite us to listen to him. Martha was distracted doing so many good things, preparing the meal, taking care of her guests, but she was so distracted, she forgot that she had the privilege, the luxury of having the Son of God right there in the next room, waiting for her, wanting to spend time with her. But if you think about it, so do we. Jesus is always right there in the next room to us, in the quietness of the next room to us, waiting for us to join him, away from the hustle and bustle of our lives, away from the noise of our distractions. Jesus is in the next room, waiting for you to join him, to spend time with him. We can be distracted pursuing good things, you know, doing things for God, doing religious acts, spiritual acts, acts that are legitimately good. But they remain a distraction when they prevent us from pursuing the one thing that matters, being with Jesus. Mary had that figured out. She chose to sit at Jesus' feet. Instead of fulfilling her cultural duties, she understood that spending time with Jesus outweighed anything else. So from Martha and Mary, we can see that Jesus would rather us be with him rather than do things for him. Jesus would rather us be with him rather than do things for him. Jesus is inviting us to set aside all our business and simply come and be with him. Earlier last year, we completed a series of discipleship where Todd brought us through you know, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And it boiled down to three things. Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. We saw that when we, when, we are, when we are with Jesus, when we spend time with him, we become more like Jesus. And when we become more like Jesus, what's important to him becomes important to us. And that's the driving force of doing what Jesus did. The foundation of being a disciple is learning to be with Jesus. That was what Mary was doing. Martha 
was doing what we do so often. We try to serve and do things for God without first learning how to be with God. It's not wrong, obviously, to do things for God. It's definitely not wrong. It's part of being a disciple of Jesus. There is definitely a time for action. There's definitely a time to serve the people around us. But I think a lot of the frustration and disappointment that we can face in our Christian life, it stems from skipping this first step of learning to be with Jesus. When we skip to the second and third steps, when we try to become like Jesus and do what Jesus did, we can see with Martha, this does not work. This does not work when we try to do the second two steps without knowing how to be with God. The things we try to do become a struggle. It becomes duty-driven. It becomes legalistic. There's no joy. There's no life in what we're doing anymore. That is not what God wants for us. Christianity is not about religious practices. There is a space for religious practices. But the main thing that God is interested in is a relationship. He wants an intimate relationship with you. So as Ian mentioned before, I'm working as a junior doctor at the moment. The reason why I wanted to become a doctor was because when I was younger, I had this grand dream of you know, serving in the mission field, being a medical mission doctor. So now that I'm a bit more grown up, I, was, I had a season of asking God, is medical mission really the calling? What do I do about it? How, how, what can I do to get myself there? What is my purpose? What do you want me to do? I prayed and I waited. I prayed and I waited, earnestly telling God how much I wanted to do for Him. There was no answer. I prayed so long, but God did not tell me anything. And I was just frustrated because I was like, God, I want to do so much. How are you not answering me? I am ready. But then I saw that I was asking all the wrong questions. I, want, I got distracted by all these good things that I wanted to do for God, that I lost sight of God himself. I was pursuing the good instead of the great. I needed to rediscover that God can never love me more than he does today. I am of the same value to God right now, right where I am today, as any hypothetical version of myself in the future, no matter what I'm doing. And for me to learn this, for me to learn that God cannot love me anymore, no matter what I do, for me to learn that I am unconditionally loved, is to spend my time with the one who loves me unconditionally. We are unable to learn God's heart for us if we do not spend time with him, if we do not get to know him. 
if you've been in church for a while, this is something we hear quite often. It's a message that's preached quite a lot. You know, Jesus would rather be with us rather than do things for us. It's a message that's easy for it to let it slide, slide by us. I think, it's easy, I think we talk about it a lot because it's easily said, it's easily taught. But it's so, so challenging for us to properly grasp it and live it out consistently. So today, where are you pursuing the good instead of the great? What activities are you involved in that are good? Activities that you're doing to express your faith. But if you're honest with yourself, are distracting you from God himself. I think deep down, I think a part of us pre prefers this doing for God, activities for God, instead of being present with God. Because it's so much more tangible to, to, to do things for God. We can see the results. It's easier for us to understand. It requires less of us. The scarier and more uncomfortable thing would be to put that all aside, to be alone with God, to find Him in the quietness. But without this, we burn out. We become estranged from God. And that is the last thing we want deep down. If this is you today, we have to simply start by relearning how to be with God again. For many of us, we don't know or we have forgotten how to simply enjoy God's presence to be with Jesus. So I want to conclude today by giving us some practical tips on how to simply be with God. Earlier today, we started out by spotting the difference. We can have our lovely little cat on the picture again. <laughs> If you were to walk past this image, you know, just glancing by it, these pictures would look exactly the same. They would be identical. We had to pause and intentionally look for these differences amidst everything else that's going on in the picture. In the same way, our, relation with, our relationship with God takes intentionality. We have to pause and intentionally make time for God to spend time with Him amidst all the other distractions that's happening in our lives. Spending time with God does not happen automatically. We have to carve out the time in our day to spend with Him because there's always something else that's vying for our attention. The amount of time and how you carve out time is different depending on what stage of life you're in. Quiet time or devotion time, you know, what we usually call time set aside for Jesus, is completely different depending whether you're a university student or a mum with young children. Quiet time will look very different. But however your quiet time looks like, the goal of spending time with God is connection. The goal of spending time with God is connection. It is 
a two-way conversation. You have to make space for God to speak to you, for Him to minister to you as well. Connecting with God can look very different for everybody, but it cannot be approached like a tick box, and it might change from season to season of your life. You know, some people find it easy to connect with God through music and song. Others find it easier to connect with God through the Word, through, his, through the Bible. Some people find it easier to feel closer to God when they're outdoors in nature. Personally, I connect with God easiest through prayer, through talking to Him. And that's my default whenever I'm stressed or whenever I'm in a trying time. But at the moment, what I'm trying to learn is to connect better with God through His Word. Because for me personally, that's actually very challenging, but I know that it's important, so I want to get good at it. So I want to be intentional with this. So what I'm doing now is that I'm trying to reduce the number of distractions when I'm reading His Word. I stopped using my online Bible on my phone because it's full of distractions. I started using my physical Bible because I can't get any notifications on that. Um, And the second thing I've done is I've placed my physical Bible and my journal in places that are easy to reach in my house. So they're always an arm's length away from my couch or my bed so that there's just less barrier for me to, to reach for it and start doing my quiet time with the Word. Some people can read chunks and chunks of scripture without any issues and glean so much from it, you know, revelation after revelation. I am not one of those people. So I read one chapter at a time or a section of a chapter, but I pause. I pause to see if anything stands out from that section because that's the connection. There's no point in me reading that chapter and closing the Bible. I'm waiting for something for God to show me this is what he wants to talk to me about today. That's the connection I'm waiting for. So that's for me. That's how I spend time with God at the moment. But spending time with God and connecting with God might look completely different for you. I think it takes practice and trial and error to see what works for you. But if you're unsure how you normally connect with God, or if you're not sure even where to start to figure out how you connect with God, I want to encourage you to let someone know this room is full of people who would love to help you in this journey. They'll be happy to be included in your journey towards connecting with God. So let someone know. Today, would you accept Jesus' invitation to simply be with him? He is inviting you today, just as he invited Martha all those years ago. The words he said to Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. What are you worried about? In what areas are you upset in? What are you distracted by? What good are you distracted by? You know, doing things for God instead of being with God.
Would you be willing to shift your life, to shift your priorities to the one thing that Mary had discovered, to prioritize being with Jesus? Would you be willing to be on this journey towards enjoying God's presence, to connecting with God? We're going to close today with a song of worship. Would you receive his invitation to set aside all distractions in your life to come to him now? Let me pray for you. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you want to be with us, that you're always waiting for us in the quietness of the next room, waiting to spend time for us. We are sorry that we have been distracted by other things around us that have kept us away from you. We lay aside all these distractions today. Would you teach us how to be with you and enjoy your presence again? Teach us to know your voice and receive your love for us. Amen. Thank you for listening today. To listen to more messages like this one, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk forward slash podcast. We are looking forward to seeing you soon.